Welcome everyone to the Bold Speak Podcast. I'm Anthony Creedon. Today on the podcast, it's the beginning of the end as we enter into the final chapter of Galatians and hear Paul's closing thoughts on the matter of living out the gospel. And as a special treat, I'll take some time on the wire to discuss the latest Bold Speak news as I introduce you to the next podcast study that I'm very excited about, and I hope that you are too. So let's get to it and give them the Bold Speak. Hello again, everyone, and welcome back to our study of No Other Gospel, a study of the book of Galatians. Well, we are coming to the end, right? This is the beginning of the end as we enter into chapter 6 of our Galatians study. And since Galatians is only six chapters, that means we have this and the next podcast before we move on to something new. But before we get there, I think we need to pause and take a moment to really reflect on chapter 6 as Paul closes out his thoughts here and gives us a lot of good information as to what it looks like to live out the gospel. So we want to make sure that we spend enough time here to really kind of uh, get a sense for what Paul is after in this letter. All right, we're going to do that uh, today by looking at Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 to 5, and then we're going to jump into the gospel of Luke for a little bit and look at Luke chapter 6, 37 to 42 on a section of scripture that, I'll be honest with you, I think is misused a lot and, and misunderstood. So we're going to get some clarification there by studying those portions of scripture, and uh, I'm really excited about uh, kind of getting through this and really seeing the, the book of Galatians for, for what it is and the message, the powerful message that it's communicating. All right, so uh, if you have a chance to uh, to, to take a look at a, at a Bible, uh, we're going to be going to, again, Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 to 5. If you had a chance to go to our website and, and get the study guide, we're going to be uh, taking a look at uh, page 38, uh, which is where we're going to begin. So you can go ahead and open up your study guide to page 38, and, and we'll get started. Uh, for those of you uh, who have a Bible with you, uh, I'll be reading from the English Standard Version of the Bible. So uh, if you'd like to follow along with that, you certainly can. Of course, any other translation is perfectly fine uh, to help you understand whatever you're comfortable with. If you're driving or unable to, to have access to a Bible, do not worry. I've got you covered. I'll be reading to you from the English Standard Version so that you can follow along. All right, so let's go ahead and jump in and get into this. This is Galatians chapter 6. Verses 1 to 5. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor, for each will have to bear his own load. All right, so if you look at page uh, 38 in your study guide, you'll see there, before we get into any of the questions, a bit of a summary about the book of Galatians and, and what we've covered so far. And here I think it's helpful before we get into Paul's expression of how we live out the law and gospel uh, to review and, and remember what it is that he's been saying so far. All right, there are five points down there, and let's briefly touch on each. First, it says any gospel other than the pure gospel of Jesus Christ and his work on the cross to redeem and save us in totality is a false gospel and capable of leading people away from the true God. 
And then this is the primary idea that Paul introduces to us to help us to remember that the gospel is a pure gift of God through Jesus Christ and, and nothing that uh, means any requirement of us. All right. Number two, Paul is a legitimate disciple and apostle and is capable of speaking on behalf of Jesus Christ and his message. This is the, the assurance to those of us who are reading and listening to the Galatians themselves that Paul speaks a valid message because Paul himself is a valid apostle. And so what he says is truth and something that should be received and listened to carefully. Point three, we are all adopted sons and daughters of Abraham and have received by faith alone the covenant promise of the full riches of God's kingdom. All right, here what we see is that the promise made to Abraham, the covenant made to Abraham to, to bless him, to give him an inheritance, that carries down through us by faith. All right, so we have that inheritance by our faith in Jesus Christ. Point four, we're not slaves to the law. Instead, we have been set free by Christ through his grace and mercy alone. The nature of our relationship to God and what it means to be his church is not driven by the law, but rather by the gospel. All right, And that talks about the nature of freedom that Paul spent so much time uh, kind of clarifying for us, specifically using the incident with Sarah and Hagar. All right, point five. So what are we free to do? We're free to live in love and service to others and the rest of creation. This is not because we're trying to save ourselves or make ourselves better in God's eyes, but because that is what we are called to do as believers. Christ has set us free from the law so that we can now live by it. And so we talked about the nature of living by that law as being driven by the gospel, having been set free by Christ, no longer looking over our shoulder to make sure that God is pleased with us. Now we have an opportunity to, to focus our efforts and attention on loving and caring for those around us. And that is the purpose of the law, to drive our love and concern for others. All right, so now that we've kind of established what Paul has spoken about and given to us through chapters 1 through 5, now let's take a closer look at chapter 6. All right, so here's question 1. What concern does Paul express in verse 1 regarding how we deal with those caught in sin? In the context of Paul's teaching regarding the, the law and the gospel that we've been discussing, Paul is fearful of another very dangerous misuse of the law in the life of the believer. See, Paul's concerned about judgment. In other words, when you encounter someone who has sinned, make sure that you handle the situation in such a way as to not lead yourself down a path where you sin against your brother or sister by dealing harshly with them. All right? The reason this is dangerous is because what we can end up making is the, the same mistake the Judaizers are guilty of, right? Specifically, letting the law get in the way of the gospel. All right. Imagine, uh, like, if you were restraining a friend from a fight, all right? And in the heat of the moment, uh, restraint is necessary in order to prevent further damage and injury. Okay. In this way, the law is acting like a restraint. It's holding you back. In the midst of, of sin, the law is used to help the sinner recognize the extent of the damage that they have done to themselves and others. But while you restrain them, you don't do it in such a way as to, to hurt them, but just enough to prevent harm. When the moment passes, you, you let them go. Why? Well, because they need to continue to live their life. 
right? They need a chance to, to move beyond those bad decisions and that confrontation and take positive steps forward. See, if we continue to restrain that person who wants to fight, we actually keep them from the freedom that comes with forgiveness and a second chance, that is, the gospel. We've got to be very careful with how we use the law and the gospel so as not to diminish the purpose of either. The law is used as a means by which to restrain only insofar as it leads to repentance all right, and a turning back to God. At that moment, we offer the freedom and the beauty of the gospel in forgiveness and allow them to move forward. The problem is that sometimes we tend to linger. We hold back too much. We use the law as a means of punishment or revenge, even beyond the repentance of the sinner. And that's what Paul wants to warn us about. All right, so let's jump into question two. How can bearing one another's burdens keep us from getting in the way of the gospel? This, I think, is incredibly important for the church to understand today. See, the, the, the sin of the Pharisees, the, the ideas that the Judaizers are promoting, is that sin, while it is a thing that separates, it requires, in some way, separation between us and the sinner. But what Paul's talking about here is the reality of what the gospel looks like lived out in the day-to-day. -day. We walk alongside sinners. Not treating their sin as if it's insignificant or promoting their sin in some way, but we walk alongside of them because we are invested in the person. Jesus, by example, uh, ate with sinners and tax collectors. He sat at a table with them, and this was offensive to the Pharisees, but what Jesus understood is that the nature of that, that table fellowship and reclining at table with them and kind of being involved in their lives allowed them to hear the truth of how damaging their sin is and then to receive the blessing of the gospel. Addressing sin in the life of the church is about bearing each other's burdens. It's about a relationship between us and those who struggle with sin to help them to find their way to repentance and allowing the gospel to actually legitimately change people's lives because they see the gospel reflected in us. Just as God doesn't just banish us and separate himself from us as a result of our sin, we too don't separate ourselves and banish others away from us, but rather we're there in the muck with them. Right? We trudge through the difficulty with them to help them to come to a place of healing and restoration. And that is the purpose of the church, restoration. And so that's what it looks like to bear each other's burdens. Now, question three is an opportunity for Paul to sort of build on this with a moment of kind of some self-reflection. All right, to remind you, this is what he says in verses three through five. For if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor, for each will have to bear his own load. Now question three asks, what's Paul saying in verses three to five? It may be best summed up like this. Accountability without humility will accomplish nothing. See, Paul's warning us about the danger of believing ourselves to be better than others, and as a result, 
making judgments without clear recognition that we too are sinners in need of grace and mercy. Right? We're all in the same boat here. To stand back and, and look at someone who's committed sin with, with intense judgment and, and to maybe even believe that they're a lost cause is a direct affront to the pure message of the gospel. No one is beyond God's mercy. Not me, not you, not the worst of sinners. And, and what Paul wants us to do is reflect on our own sin, reflect on, on our own struggles, so that when we approach accountability, we do it in such a way that it's guided and directed toward helping the sinner come to a place of restoration. Right? We're not holding their sin against them as if we're better than them, but we are sinking down, we are serving each other so that others might be restored. All right? Now, this idea is something that we see very clearly from Jesus. And in my mind, there are a few places that illustrate this better or kind of communicate this message in, in a more clear way than Luke chapter 6, verses 37 to 42. Now, I'm going to kind of warn you about this. As I said at the beginning, I really do think that people misunderstand the purpose of Jesus' words here. And so taking a moment to, to look through them carefully is going to kind of fill out this picture that Paul has presented to us of having humility along with accountability. All right, so let's go ahead and get into this. Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 6, verses 37 to 42. I'm going to read it to you here again from the English Standard Version. Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use it, it will be measured back to you. He also told them this parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, Brother, let me take out the speck that is in your eye, when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye. You hypocrite! First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. Alright, question four. What is Jesus explaining in verses 37 to 38? Specifically, these are the verses that say, Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use it, it will be measured back to you. His point here is that actions toward others will cause an equal, if not measurably greater, reaction. If we judge others, they're going to judge us. If we don't judge them, they won't judge us either. The premise is, is pretty simple and something that I think we all experience every day. People act toward us in response to the way that we act toward them. 
That means, however, we must be very careful and purposeful in the way that we deal with other people, fully expecting to get in return whatever we give out. And this is especially important when it comes to judgment. Think about the reactions of the outside world toward the church. If all the outside world sees is a church that is just obsessed with the law and obsessed with judgment, if we are known more for what we're against than what we're for, it shouldn't be surprising when the world reacts to the church with the same amount or more judgment than we give out. And this is the point that Jesus is trying to make. The decision you make toward others is expected to be reciprocated back to you. So if your Christian life is all about judgment, then it shouldn't be surprising when all you receive from the world is that same, if not more harsh, judgment. All right, and it's something that I think we as the church need to very carefully consider. Now, the reality of this, or sort of what it leads to, is, is what question five is addressing. Question five says this, what does Jesus mean when he asks, can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? Now, there's a certain amount of, of self-reflection that goes along with the way that we interact with others. Okay, In the scenario that Jesus has presented us with, the blind man, while maybe well-intentioned, must first recognize his own limitations before he begins to assert his ability to lead others. Okay, In this case, his inability to do so will lead to both men being harmed and neither of them getting the help they actually need. All right, we must be self-aware when we consider how we treat others. And right, if we approach it with, with judgment and with the harsh treatment of sinners, we shouldn't be surprised when people treat us harshly. However, if we approach these things with love and grace and mercy, it shouldn't be surprising when people respond to us with that same love grace and mercy. How we treat other people will be reflected back to us, and what that leads to is a sense of what our Christian leadership should look like. If it is our goal as the church to lead people to the gospel, then we must first recognize and understand what it means to live the gospel so that the world can see it and thus understand and know what they are following. All right? And so this is an incredibly important point when we talk about the, the even the, the mission of Bold Speak to live the gospel and sort of what that looks like. All right, and so that's going to get us to question six. What is the point of the parable of the speck in another's eye? Here I think there are two really important points that have to be made with this particular teaching. All right, first, the story of the, the blind leading the blind sets us up to evaluate the way that we see ourselves in our judgment. In other words, we all have sins and issues that we bring to the table. No one is immune to sin, right? Absolutely no one. That means that there's a certain amount of humility that must be brought into the conversation. We must always judge and use the law in a spirit of gentleness, right? We shouldn't think of ourselves as perfect or without sin. That is, we shouldn't consider ourselves as, as Paul says in Galatians, something when we are nothing. Instead, we should recognize our own faults and mistakes and take responsibility for those. We should, as Paul says in Galatians 6, bear our own load. 
Now, the second point here, I think, is absolutely critical in helping us balance what Jesus is saying, all right? The second point that I think is important is at the end of verse 42, all right, when Jesus says, you hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. All right, notice that Jesus explains that we should remove the log from our own eye before we attempt to take the speck out of our neighbor's eye. That is to say, we should be attempting to remove the speck from her neighbor's eye. All right, and, and as I said earlier, unfortunately, this is a section of scripture that is many times misunderstood and very much misused. Okay, Jesus is not saying that we shouldn't judge or that we, we don't have the right to judge, as I think many times this is used. People use this as saying, well, judge not lest you be judged, as if to say, well, don't judge me because there's nothing to judge. That's not what he's saying at all. Right? He, he's saying that when you make these judgments, when you uh, hold other people accountable as you should, you should just do it with humility. All right? And that's, that's a, a critical point to make. We're saying that you should go out into the world and promote truth. You should help people to repent from sin. You should point out the sin in other people's lives gently so that they might come to repentance and restoration. Right? The key to avoiding conflict and dealing with sin is not to avoid the situation altogether. It's not to uh, release from yourself the responsibility to speak truth and love and hold other people accountable. It's just that when we do that accountability, we must do it with humility. All right? And this is the whole point that Jesus is trying to make in this section. And it's the very point that Paul's trying to make in Galatians chapter 6. We have a responsibility to hold people accountable. It's just that we must do that with humility. We must recognize our own sin. I was once told and have come to really understand that the difference between those who would be classified as the big sinners and those who would be the uh, maybe small sinners, the main difference between the two is that one got caught and the other didn't. And that is to say, we're all on equal footing when it comes to sin. While some others sin may be more public than ours, a recognition of the work of sin in our lives and the humility that comes with that can be a very powerful tool to help with the kind of vulnerability between people that is necessary to communicate the gospel effectively. We need to recognize that we are all in this battle together. No one is better than the other. Rather, if we can serve each other as Paul calls us to serve in Galatians 5 and 6, what we will eventually see is the fruit of the gospel, and that is restored relationships between people and God and us and other people. All right, but let's kind of be real about this whole scenario, and, and that's what gets to question seven. Do you feel that it's difficult to hold other people accountable? Now, the answers are going to vary for a lot of people out there. As you're listening to this, uh, I want you to reflect on the difficulty that comes along with accountability. Right? It's not easy to tell somebody that there's sin in their lives. It's not easy to expect what Jesus tells us to expect, which is that counter-judgment, that they'll respond with aggression or frustration or anger toward us. It's not uncommon to be fearful of losing a relationship. But love of people who are struggling with sin means that gentle accountability. 
all right, to speak to them, not from a place of judgment, not from a place of, of I'm better than you or I know better than you, but of a place of, of real true love that says to someone, I'm worried, I'm concerned. Because I care about you and because I love you, I need to tell you I, I see some of these things that I think are harmful to you and harmful to others. And I want to be there. I want to walk alongside of you. I want to bear this burden with you to help you to find restoration. All right. And so when we think about accountability, approaching it from a position of love, uh, approaching it from a position of the gospel, rather than harsh judgment and treatment from the law, I think is going to get us much further and much closer to our goal of living out the gospel and bringing people into the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. And that brings us to our last question, question eight. How is accountability a necessary part of the Christian life? We need to hold each other accountable in order to ensure the safety of ourselves and others. All right, from a, a Christian perspective, accountability is also necessary in order to prevent people from slipping away from their faith. When, when we sin and that sin goes unchecked, we, we slowly take steps further and further away from our faith, sometimes even leading us to walk away from our faith altogether, All right, because this is the real problem with sin. Sin kills faith. But when we're held accountable to our sins without being pushed down by a, an absence of the gospel, we're redirected toward a loving God that forgives and allows us to move forward. This God of mercy, this God of the gospel. Right? Does that mean there's no consequences? No, there, there are always consequences. And we need to understand that. But the, the purpose of the church is to bring about restoration. Right, to bring about the, the love, grace, and mercy that comes with our very identity as the redeemed people of God. And this, I think, is a just a, a critical point for us to understand as God's people, as the church. All right, now, if you'd like to learn a little bit more about the nature of sin and, and how it operates, we do have a series on our YouTube channel called Reclamation Sin. It goes through how sin works, the nature of temptation, the nature of evil, and then finishes off with a conversation about forgiveness and, and what it means to be repentant. So I encourage you to check that out. You can find that um, on our website, which is brand new, a uh, brand new website that has a lot of great stuff on there. You can connect to our, our podcast series there. You can connect to our uh, YouTube channel there. You can see some articles there. There's a lot of great stuff that you can do now on our new website. Uh, so make sure you check that out. That's www.theboldspeak.com. All right. So I encourage you to go over there and, and see what's new and see what's available to you. All right. Changing gears here. I have to say this. All of the Bible is important. All right. The entire thing from Genesis to Revelation is, is perfectly crafted to tell one incredible narrative of, of who God is, what he made us to be, and how he fixed our rebellion and sin. But that being said, there are certain parts of scripture that tend to shine a bit brighter during certain eras of history. By that I mean, different eras of history face different challenges, and in these moments, there are different portions of scripture that seem to just surge to the forefront to address those challenges. To me, this is certainly the case with the Sermon on the Mount, which is, by the way, the topic we will begin in March. All right, for more on that, let's get to the wire. 
Bold Speak began from a personal story of struggle. Out of the ashes of my own sin, God showed me what it truly meant to be forgiven and the real definition of the gospel. But that isn't all he revealed to me over the last six years. I also found something unexpected and honestly terrifying. Reflecting back on what I had done and what I had become in my sin, I saw a pattern in my understanding of the church that was unmistakably destructive. An idea about what it meant to be a believer that was misguided and counter to everything Jesus taught. And not surprisingly, that revelation came as I took a deeper look into the life of Jesus, specifically the Sermon on the Mount. As I dove headfirst into Matthew chapters 5-7, through seven, I started to understand why Matthew had assembled these teachings of Jesus together in such a way. See, Matthew had been Levi, the tax collector. That is to say, Matthew was considered one of the lowest of the low, a Jew who had turned his back on his own people to serve as a thief under Roman rule. Matthew was a sinner. So when Matthew received the calling of Jesus to follow and was touched by the mercy Jesus so freely gave, it appears that Matthew, like me, saw something. Something that looked like the real church, and with that, the dangerous thing the church had become. Each portion of the Sermon on the Mount echoes a singular idea, a simple reality that, while seemingly obvious, had become lost to the exploits of the Pharisees. The Pharisees' desperate attempt to control the people and maintain the institution they worked so hard to build had choked out the very foundational principles of our existence with God. Through laws and rights, through hypocrisy and oppression, the Pharisees had remade the church in their image, and in the process, sacrificed the very essence of what it meant to be a believer in the almighty and loving God. That is what Matthew was trying to recapture, and it's that same thing that we will try to recapture as we begin our next study entitled Condition of the Heart. Taking an in-depth look at Matthew chapters 5-7, through we're going to consider what Jesus is showing us about the true identity of the church and take some time to reflect on what that means for us as his church today. In these words, Jesus will challenge us to consider what it means to follow him and confront the Pharisee that lives within all of us. It's a striking and powerful three chapters, and I look forward to taking this critical journey with you through each word and phrase as we seek to accomplish the very heart of what it means to be Christ's church and live out the gospel. So I encourage you to join me on this podcast in March as we consider what it means to understand the condition of our heart. That's going to do it for this episode of the Bold Speak Podcast. Thank you so much for joining me. As always, make sure you're connected to us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, all at forward slash the Bold Speak. Also, check out our brand new website with lots of resources, information, and things you can subscribe to at www.theboldspeak.com. And speaking of subscriptions, make sure you click that button here and on all our platforms for media so you can stay updated on the latest content and information that we deliver. Until next time, everyone, I'm Anthony Creedon, and that is the Bold Speak.